Our story begins 25 years ago, in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these Seven Seals were. Then war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started, until finally a peace treaty, brokered by Princess Ravello Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home, that remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. Welcome back to the Outlands, everyone. You are listening to Tales from the Outlands, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast about a very special D&D campaign that consists of three interlapping uh, parties who all play in the Outlands. <laughs> uh, it's it's always weird to introduce the do the introductions for these things because I have no idea of like how deep do I need to dive. Um, so that's what you're getting this week, guys. Um, our uh, how this uh, show works is we. My name is Christian Hoffer. I am the dungeon master for the Outlands campaign. Every episode, I am joined by our producer, Luke Herr. Hello. And uh, we bring in one of the players from the campaign. Uh, this week is Ken Godberson. Hello, everyone. Hello, Ken. Hello, Ken. Hello, Luke. Are you getting enough oxygen? I think I'm getting enough oxygen now. Much different than December. Anyways. <laughs> um, Ken uh, plays two characters in uh, our Outlands campaign. Uh, Kovir, which is what this episode will focus on a little bit later. Uh, and Yuria, who is uh, a dis- very distinctively different character than Kovir. And um, Yuria... We'll probably be talking about her in the next episode a lot more. I pretty much did it so I can ensure I'll be on this podcast at least twice. (laughs) I mean, that's why I've got three characters so far. Yeah, so far. Well, you know, Luke, you currently hold the record for most characters in the Outlands campaign, but this week, someone almost tied you. You (laughs) almost lost your crown. Yeah, it was like when I ran that 13th age pre-made campaign and it was just a race to see whose character could survive the most episodes because we had something like an 80% chance of death per game. It was horrifying. You know, uh, we'll talk more about 
what a horrible thing befell a member of the Buddy Brigade this week. But, you know, the Buddy Brigade has had a rough 2021. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's just put yep. it this way, uh, you know, and, and they almost almost suffered another uh, tragedy. But you know what another tragedy would be, Christian? If people don't follow us on Twitter and don't like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and the other podcatchers that we currently publish to. You know, that was an amazing segue, Luke. Just absolutely fantastic. You <laughs> you have embarrassed me because the many people who listen to this, and there are dozens of you, likely actually only like one dozen of you, but, you know, you have had to suffer through five episodes of me awkwardly trying to squeeze that in at various points in time, and you just did it so naturally. Mm-hmm. Man. And what is our Twitter? You mean, what is the Twitter where people can find out about the show and see the very cool header graphics that I produce for each episode that are also available on the website? Yes, that. Our Twitter account is OutlandsPod. O-U-T-L-A-N-D-S-P-O-D. Yes, yes, it is. And, you know, uh, while we harp on the whole subscribe and leave reviews and all that thing, that does really help the podcast out a lot um, as we try to spread the word of the Outlands. So if you like this podcast, uh, leave leave reviews, because those reviews help raise us up in the grand, mysterious Apple algorithm and makes more people see it. But also more important than reviews is just... If you enjoy this podcast, make an earnest post saying, hey, I enjoy listening to this show. Uh, you should give it a try. It's about 18 people playing the same D&D campaign with one game master. If that's not going to get him interested in it, then uh, we've got to steal like Matt Mercer or somebody. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> it is funny. And if you're feeling very generous, you know, maybe you want to sponsor them. You know, give us... Give them your money, and they'll talk about your stuff. I, I uh, mean, theoretically, we could do that. Yeah, but... hypothetically. I mean, if someone someone wants to advertise on us, yeah. I uh, if, if you know me at all from my various internet postings, I am a sellout. I will do things for money. <laughs> I do things for money all the time. So, yeah, give me money, and I will do things. That's how, <laughs> that's how the internet economy works. It is. And you know what else works? Rallies. Wow. slash checkers the fast food chain with the best fries in the game god we have we are already going off on some horrific tangents tonight you guys are apparently in for a treat i am in good spirits tonight and i am also not reading mori king the manga tonight because it has not been as tiring and stressful of a week so outlands Anyway, so the Outlands. So how this podcast works, we we generally split up the podcast into three parts. The first thing that we do is we talk about what has happened in the Outlands campaign recently. We have three separate groups, three sessions that play on Friday, Sunday, and Tuesday. And we basically talk about what happened. Uh, Keep uh, you, the listeners, uh, appraised on um, everything that goes on in the campaign. Following that, we then do... A, uh, a a deep dive into our guest of the week's character, um, which this week we will be talking about the Artificer Kovir. Um, and after that, um, we finish up with a lore deep dive. This week's lore deep dive um, is a 
group that we have talked about on the podcast before, not specifically, um, but if you listen to our Feywild episode, you will have heard about the Shadow Court. And so tonight's episode, and it's this topic is very relevant to some stuff that happened in our recent uh, D&D sessions. Uh, so this uh, week we'll talk a little bit more about the Shadow Court and basically what a bunch of creepy fucks they are. I decided, by the way, I'm going to curse. That's my one. And you can Everybody edit that. Oh, so we get one? I, I mm-hmm. guess so. All right. Um, All right. You know, you can edit that out, Luke, if, if you feel it's necessary. But anyways, so previously in the Outlands, the terror team has discovered a mysterious halfling village named Granacht, which is protected by the mysterious great goat of the woods. What this entity, this great goat, wants is unknown, but the the entity itself seems to have an interest in the adventurer Saffron. Uh, Ken, what's the Buddy Brigade been up to recently? Well, Buddy Brigade's kind of been um, a, a degree of it's been happening at the outpost lately. We're trying to figure out um, the connection between uh, Mara, which I'm not. I don't remember if you guys have talked about Mara. To a degree on here. Only in passing. Mm-hmm. Now, I was about to say, Rhi and Mara have only come up basically, you know, uh, they've been mentioned, but we've never really talked about them at all. Okay, well, so to put it, to explain it very quickly, um, Rhi is a rare shark that is kind of working with Ashmaker, and he's kind of working with the outpost, kind of. Um, Mara is his old flame that he kind of left behind to um, try and cure his sharkanthropy. I don't know what that's actually called. I, I have a technical name for it, but I don't have it pulled up, and I'm not going to look for it. Not like... um, but only we discovered that she may have a connection to the Lord of Skulls. Now, that one I don't remember if we you have talked about. Because we have learned more about the Lord of Skulls recently, too, from uh, Trixie. That um, yeah. that the Lord of Skulls was Goltias's brother. Yeah, no, that is that is new info. We have not really spoken about the Lord of Skulls at all, um, which is funny, haha, because the other person who may be connected, um, we we've actually done a character focus on the other person that the Lord of Skulls may be connected to, and that is the Warlock Malkador. Uh, many members of the Buddy Brigade suspect that the two of them also have some tie together. Well, at least he's around to uh, provide us some information. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Man, he picked the worst time to fall into a void pool. Um, And I picked the worst time to have my character kind of nearly abandon them. This is really weird that the focus later on is going to be on Kovir when actually Yuria is the character I play with this group. Yeah, well, and, and Yuria is, you know, she's finally starting to heat up. Um, you know, Yuria has been a little bit of an enigma, um, in the campaign so far. And, uh, um, we're finally starting to see her, um, do things, you know, <laughs> I think for lack of a better term, <laughs> like she has been poked I, with the stick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's starting to poke a stick around it, but, um, we'll talk about later why I decided to, I guess we got to still do this re- more of the recap, but, yeah. uh, yeah, so. Um, our mission for this week was um, we traveled to the Cliffside Monolith, 
Mm-hmm. Really trying to investigate it, because we ended up fighting a bunch of giant spiders. It was a little weird because of how we were fighting them. Basically, the way the play area was like set up, the uh, the arena, it was like split in half, but it was like representing like the top of the model, the cliffside, and then the, the edge of the cliffside. It was very like sort of you have the cliff top. And then it immediately drops with a sheer, like, angle. And the only thing sticking out is this weird monolith cube. So basically, to to summarize what the cliffside monolith is, there has been rumors of a lost vault that exists somewhere in the Outlands, likely built by the Unjanath, who are these, uh, this mysterious elven culture that has largely abandoned the Outlands. Earlier in the campaign, uh, one of the parties found a monolith that first produced some monsters. Some monsters came out of it. And once those monsters were killed, a key popped out. And another monolith was found, and it was literally embedded in the side of a cliff. Um, So 50 feet off the, you know, down from the top of the cliff, 50 feet up from the bottom of the cliff. It's basically on the side of a cliff. Yeah, so basically that is... that was the first part of the puzzle, was how do you get down to the monolith? Well, Yuria's idea was to just jump, because the person controlling Yuria kind of mistook how the map was set up. My bad. But, uh, hey, you know what? I rolled a good acrobatics check, so it kind of worked out in the end. But, yeah, this, um, because it's weird, you were talking to us about this fight as we were going through it, that you didn't really set this fight to be that that hard or that bad but uh it turned out to not exactly go to plan yeah yeah the the buddy brigade was not ready and i i I think it also took us a bit of time to figure out how the map worked yeah which uh, is completely valid when you're trying to figure out how to render a three-dimensional space within two dimensions yeah yeah so when I designed this encounter, this was actually an encounter that I designed back when you guys were level four. And part of how the Outlands campaign works is I do not scale uh, a lot of the fixed encounters. Um, you guys are supposed to, some of these encounters will be easy. Um, some of these encounters will decidedly be not. Like, for instance, um, a couple of the pirate encounters uh, were pretty easy for, you know, the people who played through them. Because, the you know, the pirates weren't that strong, you know. They're, they're, they're dudes with guns. Dudes with guns that are only accurate within 30 feet. You know? Um, so, this was a hard encounter for level 4. I mean, because of the number of spiders there were, it was technically classified as uh, a deadly encounter. But, compared to a lot of the other encounters that you guys have faced, or you guys are going to face, this one was pretty easy. Like, I... I figured this was going to be a, a, a cakewalk for you guys the issue was was that because of how the map was set up and you know and i understand because it again it was difficult we had a um basically i had to figure out a way to do a cliffside battle a little bit hard but it ended up that uh only your character can yuria and one other player's character illyria uh, who is played by Mike, who uh, previously has appeared on this podcast. They were the only two who were kind of dealing with the spiders firsthand. 
And Illyria just got knocked out um, almost immediately before really the rest of the party could get anything. The other thing that really hurt you guys was for the first time ever, I rolled really high on my monster initiative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that never happens. There's like two rounds where you were getting like full minion swarms yeah. attacking and they killed Illyria in all but uh, for all but yeah. the grace of the GM. And yeah. Well, yeah, because what happens Illyria's not that old a character. Like, I think she's only been here like like three or four sessions. I know we took a week off for the Super Bowl, but Yeah, she's been around since early January. Yeah, about there. So when Illyria died, we were just all like uh, well, and you were like, How did I do? Yeah. So we were like Maybe Mulligan it? <laughs> like, we're very, we t we are very, like, Christian, like, I was like, Christian, and all of us are very, like, very, what the dice says, the dice says. But, like, it, like we just said, this character's, like, a month old. So we were like, huh. Yeah, we have a grace period. So I have a grace period rule in this campaign. Because it is a deadly campaign, if you lose a character, your next character unofficially as a few months, you know, uh, it's approximately three months where, you know, because it takes time to understand how your character works, you're basically bringing a new character into the campaign. And like, and, and literally it's because of things like this, like basically it was just a combination of some unlucky roles, some questionable strategic decisions, which, you know, in the buddy brigade's defense was due to, you know, may have been, you know, map related. And, um, yeah, just, like, some just real bad luck. And so, what? it's kind of like, I can't really justify a person running, burning through, uh, two characters in the course of five weeks. You know, that, yeah. that's not good storytelling, that's not good gameplay, you know, that's not a good experience for everyone. And the weirdest thing is, Illyria is... She's kind of like the first character in the Buddy Brigade post, like, post-splitting of the group that could be classified as a tank. Like, our group is very squishy. You guys are squishy. You uh, Like, you guys, I am very surprised. Like, we tend um, to try and avoid combat or, like, find another way or, like, talk things down. Or, generally, we have gotten better about healing. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Out of all three of the groups, Buddy Brigade has the most fun role playing. I mean, I think that, but I could be wrong about that. Or at least we we shift more towards like role playing scenes than we do really combat. Yeah, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. of the three groups, I you guys you guys benefit from playing on Sundays. So the Friday group, you know, because I've I've played with the Friday group, the the terror team. They were my first D and D campaign. I've played with them for. Um, about five years now um and and that group has remained almost in, entirely intact you know since the original campaign you know they like role playing too the issue is is when you play on friday nights you've just gone through this like long work week and stuff yeah, yeah. sometimes i mean it's like you like take for instance darcy my wife you know her character saffron absolutely you know bubbly character she's absolutely in love with saffron 
there are times she gets, you know, she's had a rough week at the the hospital that she works yeah. at, and she just doesn't have the energy to do with it. And, you know, we have a few people who are in, you know, some high stress careers. So sometimes the Friday group just wants to go and kill something. Yeah. Hence the name, the terror team. That is, that is why they I, tend to take the missions. I that involves what, murdering. I hope what I just said didn't, I didn't mean for that to sound bad. No, no, no. E- each group has their own style of play. The Friday group, uh, we, we've talked about this before. The Friday group is very much the sword of the Outlands. Um, you guys are, um, if, if, if they're, uh, if the terror team's uh, MO is to kill first, ask questions later, you guys ask questions first, ask questions second, try running away third, left with no options, we kill the things. You know, that's, that's how the buddy brigade functions. And it works really well. And you guys pick missions that work really well with your play style. Um, and and the Toon Squad is just roll of the dice. They're yeah, still kind of developing. Toon Squad is really chaos personified. That that group, um, you know, they they are still trying to work out their um, their team dynamic. I, I they all like playing with each other. Mm-hmm. They're they're still trying to figure out what sort of you know D and D group are we going to be? Where it's like fifty percent shenanigans, fifty percent like. You know, let's really dig in and get into like you know the really complex stuff. So, anyways, so Illyria technically should have died. Let, let's be a hundred percent honest. Mm-hmm. Um, she she got hit by a spider while she was down, which is two death saves, and then she failed the third death save. Mike and I worked out a a an arrangement, which will be more to my liking, and also he was within the grace period rule. This isn't a core situation where we pushed off Kor's death for a couple weeks because, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't want to deal with that. Um, You know, we have a grace period. It it was, you know, it was established in the campaign. I do not like killing off one person's character twice in, like, a set period of time. It's just, it's (laughs) just, it's not fun. No, Um, it, it, it takes a toll on the party and the tone of it. You know, and if anyone... Yeah, it's funny because sidebar. Um, so last October, I wrote about the first two character deaths that happened in the Outlands campaign for comicbook.com, which is the website I write for. Um, and I got a lot of flack online on how I handled Core's death. Um, like a lot of flack. People were like, no, Core, you're, that, that person's character should have died immediately. You know, and nothing to us like well he was like walking dead for a few weeks and now he's like the main villain of the campaign (laughs) those people are completely wrong yeah they're like i was like i was like i thought it was a very elegant solution we were we were coming into going into a crossover event where it's like who wants to learn how to play a character when you're doing a a timed mission um and also the the I let him pick the manner in which his character died mm-hmm. and the way that he picked it, the, the thing that he picked was awesome. He gave mm-hmm. me the ultimate toy to play with. And now that toy is literally making all the players lives miserable. Uh, can I ask? Um, I know we're kind of like going off. It kind of, but uh, when core comes back, because he's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Luke, are you like 
working with Christian like to focus that character, or is this uh, or is Christian really just taken? So, like when Core died, or when we knew what Core's fate was going to be, I had already been working on having Core move in his own ways. Like we have not done a Core episode, but his plan was to find a way to steal Ree's curse uh-huh. and end up in the same situation where Core, as a human, is gone, and instead you've just got. Uh, evil controlled were shark out there that is now a enemy NPC. Huh. And like I ended up for pretty much Christian alone, I ended up writing this dialogue between Core, the now we know it's a fate room entity inside of him, and the mind flayer larva. Yeah. Sort of discussing it and Core coming to terms with I can't get out of this the best I can do is try and find a way to protect these people I care about who I can't warn. So I guess, so it's core like dead, dead, like, core. Oh yeah. 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 He's, he's he's super dead. Like basically the mind flayer larva ate him, but then the whole, uh, like Faerim inside of it was like, Hey, you enjoyed that meal. Well, now you're out of here. Mind flayer larva. So it's all, the Faerim, essentially. Yeah, Kor okay. is now, you know, and spoilers, not really, I think everyone knows this. Kor uh, is now a, uh, has, he is a, in a humanoid body with Mind Flare psionic abilities and also Mind, and also Faerim abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's really a nightmare character. I have a, <laughs> I, I actually have uh, his uh, character sheet, um, like not a character sheet, it's a it's a monster stat block, and he is he's insane. Like you guys, you guys are freaking in trouble. <laughs> um. Uh. Anyways, so we haven't even gotten to the juicy stuff of what happened in the Sunday session, yeah, which is what also... happened at the outpost. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think there's a bit of other like recap stuff, uh, because we sort of went from talking about re our. Uh, yeah, Our we 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 dove we dove right into yeah. things this week. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what happened at the outpost during the Sunday session because you know, yeah, Illyria almost died. Yeah, you guys got uh, you know overwhelmed by spiders of all things. Not even like magic spiders, just mm-hmm. spiders. And yeah, you got a key to the lost vault, but that wasn't the actual juicy stuff that really happened. No. In the session. No, what? Juicy... Go ahead, Ken. Or go oh, ahead. No, that was... Yeah, no, the juicy thing is that Flop Farm went to the Sahuagin and played with a bunch of Sahuagin kids and brought orange slices. That ah, is yeah, not the it. juicy thing. I, I guess technically I mean, the that is juicy. a... Yeah, the oranges are juicy. That is a juicy thing. But no, I'm talking about the Mara situation. Mm. You guys you guys got an <laughs> unexpected lore dump and you know, yeah, we did. Yeah, and how we Ken, got that lore dump is. It's about to say, Ken, you were at the heart of this, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Again, it's so weird because we're probably going to end up talking about Yuria just as much as we're going to end up talking about. Actually, no, we're not going to be talking about it as much as we're going to be talking about Kavir. But uh, yeah, so so what happens is we all do like a downtime activity. So basically, what we're doing the week or the time between missions. 
we kind of decided to coordinate our downtimes, or at least me and uh, Scout Ellie, who is played by Shay, who I believe she was on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. she's been on. She's been on? Okay, so we're trying to figure out what Mara's deal is, and the thing is, Ellie and Yuria are two very different characters, <laughs> let's just say. Ellie is very upfront, kind, empathetic. So she like had dinner with Mara to try and figure out more about her situation. Christian, would you be able to help me along with this part a little bit? Because I, during what during the dinner, I was kind of like I was distracted by something that was going on off, basically so, happening outside, and I kind of like kind of pseudo step away. Yeah, and. As Flopparm is a six-year-old and was enjoying orange slices and running a kitchen at the time, Flopparm has no idea, and I try and keep the knowledge that the characters know to be true, because nobody included Flopparm on there. Uh, let's do a weird bait trap to try and mine for information. Yeah, so uh, Ellie's plan was, so so to, to kind of recap, you know, what, what's going on. Re is a were-shark. Uh, he was previously a scholar um, at in a city far away from the Outlands. He got bit by a shark uh, during some sort of shark attack that involved Mara in some way. Um, and then uh, a few months later, he fled the Outlands, or fled uh, his home city uh, to try to find a cure to his were-sharkism, and eventually wound up in the Outlands. When the Buddy Brigade first met Ree, they asked, uh, he, Re asked uh, the group to let uh, this Mara person know um, that he was safe. So Ellie wrote a letter to Mara saying where she was at, you know, where Re was at. So, um, and that happened, I want to say in July. November rolls around. And uh, in the campaign timeline is a little fuzzy, but generally speaking... Um, time moves the same as it does in the real world. So a few months pass, and suddenly uh, Mara shows up. Basically out of the blue, um, doesn't really say what she wants, and she's just been hanging out at the outpost, um, which is the home base for this campaign. Now, the, the, the weird thing, and this is what no one really picked up on with Mara, she never contacted Re when Re showed up or when she showed up at the, the at the outpost she never got in touch with uh with with her her friend lover the connection was unclear so ellie decided to try to get to the bottom of this figure out what the two of their deals was and also keep mara occupied while um yuria you know did a once over in her room so yeah this is kind of where um Yuri is different from Ellie in that while Ellie's very direct, Yuria is very indirect and decided while this was all going on to basically break into Mara's room and search it. Um, so it was mostly a room, like the room was mo for the most part just like a regular like quarters in the outpost. Except for two things. One, was like a kind of like um, chest, like one you'd find at the edge of a bed, uh, sealed with two locks, like two separate locks. 
And the other thing we found was not a, which you specified this, it's not a drawing, but it's a photograph of, it... of a woman that looks very much like Mara, who's like in pain, bleeding, uh, clearly going through a lot of like trauma at the time, carrying a baby, basically she had just given childbirth. And in addition to that, not only had she just given, did it appear that she had just given birth, she also had a large scar, um, uh, or not even scar, a fresh wound on her chest. Um, in um, the thing with Mara, how the party first found out that Mara might be more than just a simple visitor, Mara has no heartbeat. And going alongside, oh, just continuing on this, Yuria has not told the rest of the Buddy Brigade about this photo, or really given them any information. And you you were saying that Yuria is going to start poking the stick in the next couple of, week, couple of weeks. You're going to learn Yuria's... Yuria has other... Um, She's with the Buddy Brigade, but she doesn't really necessarily follow them. <laughs> she 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 does not possess the same ethos as the rest of the Buddy Brigade. No. So I have to ask you, you 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 did this big tease. Uh, you know, Luke and I can keep a secret. Surely mm -hmm. our podcast listeners can too. What is Yuria going to do with this whole Mara situation? Well, well, it's funny because I actually, in our Slack chat, I asked um, Christian if I could have the first downtime, uh, the upcoming um, Sunday uh, meeting, which I don't know when this podcast is going out, but... Probably Sunday. All right, so yeah, this uh, Sunday, the 21st coming up. Yuria is... Yuria's got a couple of objectives, and she's going to basically have lunch with Mara this coming Sunday to kind of like introduce herself and kind of begin to ingrain herself with Mara. Interesting. I'll, I'll be honest. That was not where I was expecting that to go. What did you think I was, was going to do? I thought you were going to like try to assassinate her. I was expecting like a jump scare with her portrait of Dorian Gray. Why would Yuri? Why would Yuri try and assassinate her? I have no idea. I was, I was, I totally, man, I love that. That is great because because I know what the objectives are, and that's clever. Yeah, that's kind of, really freaking clever. We are kind of dancing around something with Yuria. We don't really. I don't really want to talk about it now. I mean, when I on a podcast that focuses on Yuria would be better, but yeah, there's. Yuria's officially Yuria is an adventurer who comes from a big family that she's kind of come to the outpost to try and like make her way in the world outside of um, like getting away from her big family, just going out on her own and, you know, just adventuring. Yeah. And over the last couple of weeks, little bits and bops that it's starting to show that there's a lot more going on with Yuria than she's letting on. 
Man, I've got a big grin on my face right now. Uh, you guys can't see this because we're, we're recording, you know, a podcast, not a, a video show. Uh, but I have a big grin on my face. I'm really excited for Sunday now. It's it's funny when I because I was I was as this dinner and as I was looking through the um the room, I was starting because I knew what else I had to do that isn't part of what the Buddy Brigade has to do, and I was just coming up with this whole plan, and I just tweeted out. It's like when you formulate a plan that in D&D that the rest of your party is going to hate your character for in the long run. And I put a kind of like, I put, I put a picture of, um, I don't know if our listeners will know him, um, but, uh, of Garrick from, uh, Star Trek deep space nine. Who's one of the big influences for Yuria. Yeah, no, I, sh- this is going to be great. I'm, I am super excited. Um, man, that's, uh, Oh man! Oh, I got goosebumps. Um, so we should probably stop talking about Sunday uh, because yeah. clearly, you know, we could we could go on and probably spend an entire podcast just talking about the 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 nuances of what happened on Sunday. But what you guys need to know: uh, a a a uh, a key was found to the lost vault, and also uh, there is some a mess is about to happen um, in the outpost. It also, also other mysterious events happened that are inconsequential compared to hot gas and keys found. But anyways, let's let's talk about the other big. You know, the the other two groups had huge weeks as well. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, the Friday group, uh, the terror team, has been uh, poking around this village of Granak. And it's all been building up to the Horned Moon Festival. Now, the Horned Moon Festival is this, um, uh, you know, they they didn't even know what it was. They just knew it was a a festival that the village participates in. There is a winner of the festival. And then that winner of the festival seems to become a goat. And the... That's all they knew. So they decided we're going to get to the bottom of what the heck is going on in this creepy halfling village. What they discovered was a little bit surprising, and then some really terrible things happened. So the the Horned Moon Festival and the group had the suspicions. The Horned Moon Festival is actually a convergence of the planes, which we've talked about this before. The Outlands is actually a uh, is is a convergence of the planes itself. It is a place where multiple planes of the D and D cosmos. Uh, cross into the material plane. And the Horned Moon Festival celebrates one of the times that the Feywild uh, crosses over into uh, the uh, into the material plane in the Outlands itself. Because of that, it is the one day a year that the Great Goat of the Woods takes on a physical form. Several members of the uh, Terror team had guessed that the Great Goat of the Woods was previously an Archfey. And they are Half right. The great goat of the woods is a archfey who was killed in the first Feyrim War, this ancient war that happened in the Outlands between the Feyrim, who are, we can call them the big bad of the campaign, and uh, the Sharn, which was this ancient culture led by a pantheon of gods that tried to protect literally the entire multiverse by waging war against the Feyrim. 
this Archfey, uh, whose name was actually uh, uh, Vincent, uh, Vincent Van Goat, um, he, uh, he, he was killed during one of these battles. And in a desperate attempt to save him, his uh, retainer, um, a, uh, a Mayad, or I think, yeah, Mayad, uh, uh, basically a water nymph, um, merged with him. It didn't go the way it planned, likely because of, you know, uh, the Faerim's corruptive influence on the Outlands, this whole convergence of the plane thing, uh, the, the Archfey's innate connection to the Feywild, and instead, they both didn't die, but they didn't stay alive either. They kind of merged with the Outlands itself, and formed what is now known as the Goatswood. So... They discovered that the great goat who took on physical form and was this like large um, half skeletal creature that, you know, he wasn't whole. Um, he, he spoke uh, in repetition. Um, he didn't seem entirely aware. Um, he had like moments of cognizance, but um, clearly was not right. Then, the Bone Taker showed up. Now, in a previous episode, we talked about how the Bone Taker uh, wanted to form an alliance with the Great Goat of the Woods, and that the Bone Taker is uh, a herald of the Feyrim, who, as his name suggests, actually has the ability to pull bones out of people's bodies and then control them and create bone golems. Um, and the Bone Taker wanted to break away from the Feyrim, and kind of form his own faction of sorts. And so he turned to the Great Goat looking for an alliance. When the Great Goat turned him down, the Bone Taker revealed that he had already made an alliance with another party. And that is the Shadow Court. Now, funny thing about the Shadow Court, who control the Feywild. The Feywild had crossed over into the Outlands. The Shadow Court believes uh, that anything that is Fae is uh, theirs to control. And here is celebrating the Horned Moon Festival. Not only is there an, a lost Arch Fae of sorts, but also there is the adventurer Saffron, who's played by my wife Darcy, who is a princess of the Feywild. And so the Shadow Court attacked. It didn't go super great. Um, in order to protect the villagers, the great goat uh, turned uh, the villagers all into goats, and the terror team was tasked with keeping the villagers safe. They were assisted by one other person, a, a, a strange man who had arrived into town earlier that day and seemed to have some sort of psionic abilities. Over the course of the fight, two uh, party characters almost died. Uh, one might have been pretty close to becoming Mind Flayer food. Um, and so, seeing that going down, the goats managed to get out of the village, and the great goat used his remaining control over the uh, the Feywild and the goats would to basically shunt uh, the terror team and the villagers back to the outpost. When uh, Saffron, who had this, like, quasi-romantic thing going on with the great goat it was weird it was weird i'm not even going to get into how weird it is now darcy my wife is like 
I think Saffron needs to marry the great goat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sounds like he's already in a committed relationship. Well, he might not be alive because the last time that we saw him, uh, he was fighting six mind flayers and it wasn't going to super great. So the great goat is now missing. Uh, the the uh, villagers who were turned back into halflings when they got shunted to safely, uh, safety are officially moving into the outpost. Um, and the strange other person who kind of assisted uh, is actually a character named Onikin, who is a uh, missing apprentice of a character named Brom. Yeah, I, I, I recognize that name, and I had to go to the Outlands wiki, which you can find in the uh, episode description of the page on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice or at the outlands-hopper.obsidianportal.com. Onikin was the guy who had previously stolen a bunch of things from Cartram, the vampire who now hates us. Yes. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that was a, you know, that was a pretty big session. Uh, that kind of wraps up a two-month uh, arc that the uh, you know terror team had been doing. That's basically what the terror team's been up to for 2021 was Grinoct and uh, the Great Goat. Can can I just say before speaking of Cartram, it's just it was so funny because I'll give people a little bit more detail. Um, the end of December, beginning of January, I had COVID, so I wasn't so I was kind of absent for a couple of weeks from the game because I just I couldn't stay up. Till like 10 o'clock, I just was in the mood. So I come back, and suddenly, oh, Cartram's in a villain. Oh, what is this Velos of the Void thing? Why is everybody going to die in, like, a couple of days? <laughs> you know, you, you are not the only person who uh, kind of, like, had to step away from the campaign uh, towards, like, the, uh, like, during the, like, holidays slash beginning of 2021. And, you know... I had to have a very long, like, texting conversation uh, with, a, like, one of our players um, where she was like, what is going on? Like, I feel like anytime I jump into the Slack, I have no idea what's going on. And she didn't miss a session because <laughs> she's been doing, she's been doing uh, great goat stuff. And I'm like, no, no, it's good. It's good. You guys are doing your own thing. Let Sunday and Tuesday deal with vampires. Just like, since when have we had vampires in the Outlands? I'm like, um, day one. We've had vampires. They've, they've, they've always been here. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh... Yeah, no. It's been a crazy 2021 so far. Uh, but, you know, we've kind of wrapped up these, like, individual storylines. You know, the, the, the Friday group has has dealt with the great goat, not gotten, didn't go the way they wanted it to, you know, when you lose a potential ally to mind flayers. And the Tuesday group, uh, they have been dealing with their own issue. Uh, the Tuesday squad, uh, the Tuesday group, also known as the Toon Squad, last week we talked about how they successfully banished Beleza the Void. Um... At the cost of their bicorn, they, they they lost their bicorn ally. I don't know if their horn. It's basically a bicorn is a like a unicorn, only it has two horns and is attracted to um, evil instead of good. Um, and they they tamed a bicorn. Bicorn got eaten by ghouls. The other consequence was Cartram's now a permanent enemy. Uh, he he really hates 
specifically Ferris. Um, but there's a few other people. He he doesn't like anybody right now. As kind of a um, sorry about your bicorn thing, uh, the Tuesday group was given a map to the Cave of Shadows by some Shatter Kai who assisted them. Now the Shatter Kai are these kind of like mysterious elf people who hail from the Shadowfell um, and are worshippers of the Raven Queen, and they had actually come to the Outlands to hunt Velez of the Void. So the Tuesday group immediately decided, let's go and follow this map. What does it do? Like, what is the Cave of Shadows? It sounds interesting. Of course, they had to deal with a winter storm that curiously mirrored the winter storm that hit most of the United States uh, <laughs> in this past week. Accidental isekai. Um, and uh, during uh, during that trip, uh, they, they fought some uh, wolves who seemed to be under the command of Kartrum. So, you know, that Kartrum thing is not... It is not taking a rest. They eventually entered the Cave of Shadows. They found a stairwell there, and it seemed to lead them down on a path. This path caused them to have several curious interactions with various notable NPCs, both from the past and the present day of the Outlands. Um, each character, which ranged from Falcon the Spirit Lord, a long-dead god, um, to Ashmaker and Ellie Windrow, to even Luke's character Cleaver. Um, each of them uh, asked for a different item. Did they actually hand over any of these items? They did. They lost items. Okay. I, that was not super clear from the Wikia. Yeah, no. They, they, they handed off, I believe the, the big thing was, so they handed off some holy water, Mm -hmm. um, which was the object touched by God. So each of these uh, is spoiler. Um, uh, this this was this path um, was a little bit of a reference to the you know the six paths, which is a uh, um, a Buddhist thing. Um, that's that's really disrespectful to. Uh, I'll, uh, I'm pulling it up now because um, like the, I, I should go into um, uh, it basically yeah. Um, so Buddhist cosmology uh, talks about like these uh, various realms of rebirth and existence. Um, there's six of them. Um, they represent gods, demigods, humans, animals, hungry ghosts, and hells. And basically, it's kind of that uh, cycle of existence, endless rebirth. It, it it's, talks about kind of um, um, touches into reincarnation. I'm not going to del delve into it, but I really encourage you to, to look into it. Um, the samsara yes yes the samsara it's 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 the uh it's it's basically their cycle of reincarnation um and um each of those realms were kind of represented in this um because the raven queen who uh is tied to the cave of shadows kind of talks about you know she's got a little bit of that going on too so the things that were asked for was an object touched by a god an object touched by gods and humans uh, there was an an object made by man, an object that belongs to beasts. Uh, the one was an object uh, that can be eaten, and um, yeah, those were the five main objects. And so the 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 group could not move on until they handed over something from their inventory that matched that description. It ended this path. Um, ended with 
the party finding themselves in a pit with a chain door at the bottom and a strange unfamiliar voice basically demanded one of the seven seals. The party was a little bit confused by that and then uh, the Raven Queen herself who was the person who put them on this path and was actually the entity that was collecting these various objects because the Raven Queen is this goddess maybe? She's an entity, a very powerful uh, cosmological entity um, that uh, enjoys collecting mementos and collecting memories themselves. And so she seems to have taken an interest in, in the Toon Squad, in part because they have a uh, cleric of the Raven Queen, the adventurer Kalen. Or as I called her in, in, the, uh, in the chat, the goddess of, ooh, shinies. <laughs> that describes the Raven Queen really well. Um, but um, this other entity who's unknown seemed to try to interrupt this entire process and the raven queen kind of had to end things early because this entity wanted a seal now it was unclear if this was the Faerim, if it was something else whatever it was wasn't bad it wasn't a good thing it it, it was definitely evil super evil obviously something is going on here at the end of all of this the party was returned to the Cave of Shadows where they found a magic sword. None of the party knew what identify, you know, it had the spell identify prepared, but Kaylin decided to pick it up and attune to it immediately. And that's where we ended that session. So Kaylin is now attuned to a magic sword. We don't know what the magic sword does. I'm sure this will come back to bite anybody in the ass. I mean, Buddy Brigade found a magic drum. None of us were just good enough to play it to get attuned to it yet. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that was the other thing that happened in the Sunday group. You guys found a magic drum. Well, and then Flop Arm ran into a magical mushroom person who gave him a, ma- a magic mushroom. Oh, yeah. That, which also will not not at all bite you guys in the butt. Nah, not at all. Anyways. Yeah, I'm just making a note. Flop Arm plant mushroom on the calendar. <laughs> so that's what's happened in the Outlands over the last week. So now let's let's talk a little bit more about your character, Ken. Let's talk about Kovir. Okay, so Kovir Telamon, he is a half-elf um, alchemist artificer. Um, he is kind of, at first, he kind of like served as like a kind of medic for the group, for the um, for the buddy brigade mostly. He, actually, he was mostly, there's kind of a rough split, like when the group split into what would become the Toon Squad, he kind of stepped back after that, which kind of brought Yuri in. But the thing about Kovir is that Kovir's not from around here. He's actually not from this universe at all. He is from Eberron, like the actual official Dungeons and Dragons campaign setting of Eberron. He's from the grand city of Sharn in that world. And it's kind of because, because you know, one of the basis of the um, of this out of this Outlands campaign is the you know the voice that said that promised riches and power. So he's found the seven seals. He's never heard that voice. He has been in the Outlands universe for about at this point three years. How did uh, how did Kovir end up? 
in the Outlands. Have we ever established that? Not exactly. I actually wrote up a biography on him that you can find on the uh, wiki. Um, so I guess I'll go into Kovir's backstory a bit. Like I said, he was born to a, fa- a human father and an elven mother in one of Sharn's many residential districts. Now, the thing about Aberon is that it's coming off the remains of a like a hundred year war. And the difference between Eberron and a lot of the rest of the campaign settings is that magic has had a great impact on how their technology has evolved. And it's led to this giant continent wide war that he was part, he was, he was drafted into, he was recognized for his like aptitude for science and magic he ended up becoming a member of a group called the Wraithfell Company, which was a force that served to like deal with more very strange, like strange for Eberron problems and like that would be thrown at Sharn and their soldiers. The thing of it is with this company, he was like a kind of like an advisor and scientist and medic. Um, but he started to have problems with his commander, um, who I've called Colonel Benjamin Margrave. As the war continued on and on, and things were becoming more and more desperate, Margrave became more and more, more militant and like hinging out of control, and it eventually caused a split with between Kovir and Margrave. And then the other thing now. I'm getting to the part now of how Kovir got here. Part of the backstory of Aberon is how the war ended. It ended in the kingdom of it's called it's called Syri or Siri. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Something happened there, a magical disaster like of super ecological proportion happened that people have called the morning. And Kovir and Margrave had their fight when that occurred in in Siri. And the next thing Kovir knew, he was transported to what he would learn is the Outlands universe, the in the Red Kingdom, I guess. And he has been trying to figure out how to get back, and he kind of falsified a background. That he like he wasn't from the Red Kingdom. He was from far away on a from a different continent, which isn't technically speaking a lie. Um, to kind of investigate the Outlands, because as we've been talking, the Outlands is kind of like a convergence of many different. I mean, many different like kind of realms on the supernatural level, but Kovir is literally from a different material plane of the multiverse. Now, the interesting thing about Kovir is, and we only just learned this, um, Kovir is not the only person who has visited Eberron. No. Yeah, so, uh, I guess it was, what was it, last time? The last mm. uh, episode yeah, you guys been... talked about um, yep. the most recent encounter with Captain Fortune. Captain Fortune, uh, the pirate, Kovir's had an encounter with... It's weird. Kovir encountered 
was in another encounter with her way back when he kind of first started. Um, he kind of like tried to talk down the pirates when they were in desperate need, but we're going to try and fight their way out. And he kind of, I guess, ticked off or intrigued Captain Fortune, but it wasn't until most recently she asked Kovir what the word Sharn meant to him. And Kovir, like, kind of just kind of just brushed it off and dismissed it a bit, but like, in his mind, that was a bit of a red flag when she started describing the grand city of Sharn that he was from. So I didn't know if she was actually from Eberron, or she just knows about it, or if she's been there, considering her pirates can use guns and whatnot. But yeah, it's a bit of a red flag, but that's the most recent thing that's happened with Kovir. I have a question for Christian that's also a bit of a lore question related to this. Sharn speak and the Sharn of Eberron, any relation? No. Uh, okay. So... <laughs> So it is funny. I actually did um, ask this about him like a couple of months ago when he started talking about Sharn's Peak. So uh, the Sharn that exists in the Outlands, um, they are um, tied to. I, 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 I stole them from a different D&D campaign setting, one that is owned by Wizards of the Coast. Um, uh, it's, I don't want to dig into too much of it because it's kind of. Um, a little bit of one of the foundational mysteries of, no, no, of, no, of no, the campaign. No, that's fine. We can just refer to that as Sharn Windrow and the other as Monk as Sharn Monk. Um, so, but it is it is funny because Kovir or, or Ken Ken brought up the same thing. And it's like you you are absolutely right because Wizards of the Coast have this one thing called Sharn, and then they have a city called Sharn. And uh, I thought that was really interesting and has, um, I've, I've, I was, I've have kicked that around in my head a lot. It, it takes up a lot of time in my head, to be honest. Um, so the, so the other interesting thing about Kovir, he's, he, you, you had him step back to more of a supporting role. So, and you know, you created Yuria. What what went into that decision? I never really asked about that as well, as the DM, but well, you know, I was as I was playing the character, I was starting to realize because of his backstory because it's so separate from a lot of stuff that's going on in the Outlands. It was becoming more difficult for me to kind of like I don't want to say role play, but like interact in a way that kind of would like impact him, if that makes sense. It's his background and his goals are they they feel so dis they felt so distant at time from what the rest of everything else was going on in the campaign, and mm-hmm. even just general character stuff like like stuff with uh, Monk Ellie or with like. Um, Cleaver, or um, just basically a lot of more people, like everyone, like a lot of the characters have some tie to the Outlands. 
Kovir kind of really didn't to a degree, and it was becoming harder for me to try and find a way to slide him in there until before, like, because I got a feeling like these various planes of existence and universes, like, intruding upon one another is going to have a big, bigger impact. And I guess we'll talk about that more when we talk about the Shadow Court, but I felt like Kovir needed to take a step back because I felt if I pushed too hard with Kovir, I was fearful that he would have his like the stuff with like the multiverse universes and stuff was going to start taking more precedent with the campaign. Hmm. So hmm. I created Yuria, who has a much she has a much more direct reason for being in the outpost. She has a big connection with stuff that happens in the Red Kingdom and the the outpost. I can interact more with characters with that one, if this makes sense. I think that makes sense. Uh, I had run a actual play podcast called Exile before, and we got to a similar point where one of the characters wasn't able to reasonably keep adventuring with the party and interact the way that they wanted because they were getting more authority roles, and so they ended up switching characters, and it worked out very well. And it also kind of has me, I guess it's also kind of planning ahead because I'll be honest, like I know we keep saying we're going to talk about her and eventually want to come back on the podcast, but I also have Kovir and Yuria kind of separate just in case something bad happens with either character. Or if I really, really push Yuria into, or if Yuria gets pushed into different paths that end up making her more of an antagonist NPC. I'll at least have Kovir as a backup and vice versa. The the thing that I thought that was kind of interesting about Kovir was um, so, you know, when you decide to swap out characters and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I totally agree with your reasons why, but you know, it was only a few weeks after that, that, you know, someone finally you know we finally got to the part where the outlands you know was is 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 a you know convergence of the planes it it has ties to you know all these different you know uh you know magical planes of existence and stuff and i thought that you know the timing was a little bit interesting in my opinion because you know yuria's first mission was what set up the ashmaker ellie dates that kind of revealed that. Yeah. And so I, I got a laugh out of it because, you know, like, you know, I, I always thought, and you know, this is one of the problems with running a campaign that features 18 people. Um, you only have so much time. And especially the fact that, you know, the, the entire point of this campaign is, you know, people have backstories and objectives and stuff like that, but that's not the, focus of every mission you know in the typical D campaign you know you know a character's backstory might be a big part of like the driving plot of the story you know that's not really the case for the outlands um it's more of like this is a place where that exists and you people are trying to get to the bottom of it um but you know with kovir and his ties to Eberron, um you know 
eventually the, the the big reveal was going to be like this is the perfect place for Kovir to be because if there is any chance of Kovir ever getting home, this is the place that you know has that you know best likelihood. You know, what's you just have to figure out the house. Um, and so, but you know, it took it took probably a little bit longer than I would have liked. And part of that is you you don't really want to you don't want to dive right into like the lore like in a D and D campaign. I you know that's uh, I am very blessed in that it seems like more players in this campaign are interested in the lore than don't care about the lore, and it's okay either way. Like you don't have to like lore in D and D and be like into world building and all that stuff. But with the Outlands in particular, um, lore is sprinkled. It is not, you know, really thrown at you in heaps. And that's like a deliberate choice. And so, you know, by the time that we actually got to like what I thought was the first really lore heavy um, session, which was the reveal, you know, the first Ellie Ashmaker date where it was revealed to be a convergence of the planes, you know, uh, Kovir had already taken a step back by that point. Yeah. So what what do you think is going to happen next with Kovir? Well, I guess we're kind of kind of this is going to kind of dive into the deep dive that we're going to be doing after this. But ever since Kovir, like Kovir's very first mission was kind of like investigating a lake, which ended up being the the Illinome sisters who were kind of like refugees from the Feywild and the Shadow Court. And I feel like I don't feel the Shadow Court are like from what we've learned of them, they're kind of the dark reflection of because they're very multiversal. They're very connected to like multiversal going ons just like Kovir is, but they're the polar opposite in morality. Because I feel like when the Shadow Court become like a bigger threat in the game, Kovir's probably going to come back more deep, more, uh, more into the game. At least that's how I think, but I could, it could end up going completely different. No, I, I, I think that's a very valid point. Uh, I, you know, I think that, I mean, the shadow court certainly has the ability to, uh, transverse the planes and, transverse the multiverse you know more importantly so that's i i i'll be honest i didn't even think about that in terms of when you when you mentioned that kovir would probably come back and you know have a bigger role when the shadow core comes out i totally forgot about the multiversal aspect that you know mind players you know have the ability to hop between planes yeah mm-hmm. uh, a chunk of the inspiration for kovir's character comes from Doctor Who, in particular, the Eighth Doctor, the uh, Paul McGann Doctor. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like just kind of more cosmic stuff was kind of ingrained with Kovir. So that's kind of maybe also why he kind of took a step back. I think that is very valid and makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well. Well, speaking of the Shadow Court, we want to move to talking about that. Yeah, yeah, let's do our Lord Deep Dive. 
What you are about to witness is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a seramorphosis pending in Shadow Court. Both parties have agreed to drop their brains and have their lives settled here, before the Feywild, in our form, the Shadow Court. Oh, the Shadow Court. So the Shadow Court, as we have discussed in a previous episode, uh, the Shadow Court are mind flayers, and they have conquered the Feywild and have subjugated the residents of the Feywild. And that includes your Eladrin, that includes your Dryads and your Nyads and the various other ads. Um, you know, it includes all the little sprites and pixies and all the Fey spirits that, you know, um, are used in various spells. The Shadow Court controls all of that. They have uh, morphed, uh, either morphed or merged or who knows what they've done with the Archfey, but they have an absolute control over the Feywild. The first time that the party, the, the, the Shadow Court has been, was teased for a while in the Outlands campaign. Uh, they would, various parties would find Fey creatures, um, such as the uh, Elamame that Ken mentioned, um, referencing this terrible war that took place in the Feywild. Um, but the Shadow Court first really made their presence known with the Wicker Maze, which probably to this day, we've run almost a hundred sessions in the Outlands, and the Wicker Maze is probably one of the most memorable sessions that we've ever had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that session that marked technically our first character death of the campaign, which was uh, Luke's first character, Core. R.I.P. Morning till I join you. Um, and um, it was basically the, the, the buddy brigade was like, we always like, I kind of always like picture it as like, they were like high on sugar. Um, you know, they, the, the buddy brigades had had like a series of pretty improbable victories. Um, you know, they had befriended a were shark. The red dragon seemed to like them. You know, they were coming off of a lot of like good experiences. And so they're like, you know what? There's a wicker maze. that's right outside of the outpost. Let's go in and I'm sure it's going to be fun. And it turned out to be just a den of terror and <laughs> awful. Yeah. <laughs> We were doing and, Nina Tucker moment. Yeah, it was like it was basically like um, you know they were expecting range rainbows and puppy dogs, and what they got was you know just like Midsummer and um, the Wicker Man. Yeah, the Wicker Man, exactly. And like, oh man, and they couldn't get out. That was the best part about it. It's like I because after you guys encountered like the first like room in the Wicker Maze, like I'm pretty sure it was James who's like. I don't want to go. I, I want to leave this place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, you can't. You can't. You're stuck. Um, so the Shadow yeah. the shadow Court have only made three appearances in the Outlands. The first time, Luke, you lost your character. How uh-huh. did that make you feel? I mean, we, we sort of touched on that earlier in this episode, talking about how it fit with the long-term plans, but I think going into that, I was one of the people who was most aware of what mind players are and sort of what to expect. And it was 
wild because it was literally just a core is trying to be a brave hero and fight these red caps and then the next turn he's dead yeah they got because because you in that encounter for whatever reason you ended up separated from the rest of the party oh core core went ahead to try and protect his friends yeah oh man and yeah you got brutalized there this was back when you guys were level three too so you were super Mm -hmm. squishy yeah, especially as a warlock. And so Kor got killed, and then you gave me the option of him to be dead dead or mystery box, and I chose that mystery box, and I I mean the Shadow Court's plans fell apart, and then Ferris uh also almost died there, but we saved him from getting uh Ceramorphed. Yeah, so the you know, Ferris uh you know he dropped to zero hit points. Um, that encounter, the the encounter that he fell into, there it, that was designed that someone someone was going to drop to zero hit points, and that would resolve the encounter. Um, so that's the only reason why he didn't get you know a tadpole stuck in his head because that was how it was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first time. The second time, you guys actually willingly went into the Feywild. Yeah. <laughs> Cleaver wanted to uh, go on an adventure to help uh, Ellie Windrow, or yeah, Ellie Windrow. That was Ellie and Ferris. Ken, mm-hmm. were you were you in that second? I I know you were in the the first Wicker Maze. I was in the uh, yeah. Kovir was in the Wicker Maze because that was before um, Uria was even a thing. Yeah. Um, did you did you do the expedition to the Feywild? I believe I actually did. I don't remember. I know Kovir's encountered a Mind Flare before. Well, and there was one where you had to fight the knight. That was the same. That was all that in was the Wicker Maze. Wicker Maze. Okay, okay. Because I... Kovir was in an encounter where they faced a Mind Flare in a, a kind of like musical Mind Flare. Oh, I don't remember his name. That would have been, that absolutely would have been the Feywild expedition. Yeah. Kovir must have gone on that one. Yeah. Because I, he, because, no, it wasn't Ellie Windrow, it was. It wasn't Ellie Windrow, it was, it was Bunk Ellie. No, I know that, but didn't, um, the oldest Ellen May sister, she came with us too. Ellen. She did, because she was your way in and out of the yes. Feywild. That's right. And because he was trying to discern, uh, Kovir was trying to discern if this member of the Shadow Court knew of Eberron and kind of used like musical knowledge of songs and stuff to try and discern that. And that was, we also stumbled onto their court, and that's where Cleaver had the breakdown. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the. the the mind flayer that you guys encountered, his name was Earl Turgamore. Yes. Um, uh, and that was also the first appearance of the Graded One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That uh, was another wild session. Yeah, Cleaver essentially tried to weaponize her traumatic experiences in elf school uh, to try and culture the party's way out of Earl Trigermeyer and the controlled elven dancers who he had, uh, the Fey Elves, because Cleaver's got a whole background with them, and it did not work. 
Uh, I I think a mix of bad roles and also Christian did not entirely you did not entirely know what was going on with Cleaver. Yeah, I was I was like, what is I I was just sitting there just like, okay, I don't know what's going on. Luke might actually be having this breakdown. Maybe it's Cleaver. I can't tell what's going on. Uh, I think I think the mind flare is going to eat somebody now. Yeah. <laughs> And, and also, also, you weren't rolling very well either on those like persuasion no. checks. Like, no. I don't think you rolled above a ten. So, oh, yeah. Man. So that battle went south, and we were saved by the gridded one who we have mentioned before. Yeah, and Ferris almost got in by a mind flare, and then in this third encounter, which was just happened last week, the Shadow Court went and you know uh, took out the uh, Great Go of the Woods, almost killed Yalmir. Um, the, the Shadow Court, even more than the Favorim, I feel like, the Shadow Court is what the party, the, the, the Outlands Exploratory Company, the players, seem to be the most terrified of. Yeah. I, like, I, I don't mean to tie this back in with Kovir, but he certainly considers them the most, the biggest threat. And yeah. I think it's kind of what happened, like, I think it's kind of like he kind of has like a he kind of like watches out with the remaining Elenome sisters because he kind of mm. like empathizes with their situation because they're kind of stuck in a different world too. And it's these things that caused it. Yeah, they are. They are definitely nasty. They, they I mean, the the Faerim, which, you know, when when this was set up, the Favorim, you know, and they are they are the big bads of the campaign, I would say. The Favorim are. But you know, they are you guys have encountered bits and pieces of them at you know, you've never encountered a full strength Favorim. Um, and you guys still aren't encountering a full strength Favorim next week because multiple groups are going after the Favorim. Uh, but we'll talk about them in the next episode. Um But, you know, the encounters have been decently manageable. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, no one has died because of the Faerim no, yet. It hasn't gone to fuck. Yeah, and um, the Shadow Court, every single time you guys run up against them, and this is not even... I mean, it's it's somewhat deliberate. The Shadow Court are, are definitely the nastiest faction that's out there like the Faerim are the Faerim and you know they're a foundational part of the Outlands but in terms of like the active factions yeah the Shadow Court's the one that sucks the most um you know and it's it's interesting we we talked a little bit about this in one of our past episodes uh past episodes you know I as as the pandemic itself seems to be uh I don't want to say winding down because it's nowhere close to being over, but Mm. there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, You know, um, I really want to make sure that this, uh, the Outlands campaign has some form of a fitting end um, for uh, the 18 players that are playing it now. Um, You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the campaign itself will end, but I want to make sure that there is a, a place uh, for people to say, ah, this is where my Outland story ends, you know. Um, and as we've talked about, as as I've been 
kind of like working on that and you know I, I i don't feel it's very much of a spoiler to say that you know this is all building up to there there's a showdown that will happen and that you know likely in summer 2021 <laughs> you know i don't think it's like a big spoiler just to, to say that that you know things things are starting to inch towards a a big confrontation um but I realized, you know, what I want to do with the Outlands after that will be the Shadow Court. The Shadow Court will be the big bads of the next arc of the Outlands. Um, they, they, I, I feel like to not make them be like the big villains of like a full camp, like a not like a you know like a full campaign instead of like these like seasons that we do, um, would be a detriment to how nasty the Shadow Court are. I mean, in some ways, I, I I feel like my knowledge of both the Fey and Mind Flayers makes me most wary of the Shadow Court. Like, the Faerim are still kind of abstract, and they're all consuming evil, and they want to destroy everything. And the fact that I think the Shadow Court would probably oppose them if they became too dangerous but would also still continue on with the rest of their plans is what makes them memorable. Yeah. Well, no, the, and the Shadow Court, they definitely have a plan in place. Mm-hmm. And... I, think what, I think what the difference is with them is that, yes, the Feyrim are kind of this, like, abstract evil, but, like, the Shadow Court are, they're organized. They have a society. They have, like, or from what we've gathered, they have like long-term plans. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. well, and then this is only just one branch of the mind flayers. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that—that's the thing. Yeah, this is basically one hive of mind flayers that have somehow conquered an entire plane of existence. You know that I—that like the 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 Fey Wild is is a weird place. But, you know, I feel like what makes them such effective villains is that, you know, everyone has some idea of what the Feywild is. I feel like everyone's idea of the Feywild is a little bit different, but there's some, like, generalities about, like, what the Feywild is and what sort of place it is. And so for uh, the the Mind Flayers to come in and take that out, and you guys don't know how big that this hive is, you know, um, you don't know... uh, and, and that's the thing, like, they're still very much a mystery. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Feyrim, we know what they want. The Feyrim are, you know, want the seals to be broken. You know, uh, they, uh, they, they want to consume everything. They are, they're all encompassing evil. Um, you know, we know what the Feyrim's deal are, but the Shadow Court, they show up. They, they usually, they do not mess around. Um, they, they are smart. They, they hit hard. Um, and, like, yeah, you guys have even touched on what their plans are, how they are connected to the Outlands, um, what they even want. You know, that, that's, that's like, the big thing. Is like, and, and I think that everyone is so afraid of them. And that's great. I love when people are actually afraid of my villains. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, like, the big thing. Is like, what does the Shadow Court... What are they even doing? Why why would Mind Flayers have any interest in the Feywild? 
Well, if people wanted to share their thoughts on what the Shadow Court might be planning long term, where might they be able to send those ideas to you, Christian? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Seahoffer Seabus, and you can find my writing about Dungeons and Dragons at ComicBook.com, a CBS Viacom owned uh, website. And we talk a lot of uh, entertainment and pop culture news there. And you also have your Pokemon podcast. I do also have a uh, Pokemon podcast for CBS uh, that is quickly approaching 100 episodes. Congratulations, but you know, 151 is that real goal to hit. (laughs) Well, we'll be there sometime next year. Uh, What about you, Ken? Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Scholar. that's d-i-s-g-r-u-n scholar um i do writings occasionally for multiversity comics which is not a uh part of uh cbs viacom at all i also do occasion more occasional writings for uh chops kicks and near falls which is a wrestling um website um which actually i'm going to be live tweeting from Chops Kicks and Near Falls Twitter feed for All Elite Wrestling's Revolution on March 7th, which is why I'm not going to be at the session that night. Fair enough. Okay. What about you, Luke? You can find me on Twitter at at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G, or you can visit my website, Luke Hare, L-U-K-E-H-E-R-R.com to find out about a lot of the things I do but if you like this, you may want to check out RPG Pals Club, the D&D podcast that posts twice a month on the 1st and the 15th, where uh, we were going to be getting to the Battle of the Bands we've been building to as part of our Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign, but that got delayed, so we're doing another Animal Crossing oh, one-shot. Speaking of, actually, one thing that we didn't talk about during the uh, Sunday session we're potentially forming a band among the yes. outpost NPCs, NPCs. So that's definitely going to be a thread that we'll hopefully be following on in this podcast. I don't know. Two years from now, it's going to be us versus the Feyrim and our band that has now turned into a polyphonic spree type uh, setup is going to be beating them back into their eternal prison where they will start to get reformed instead of just anger and anger by playing the song that our Superman type character that we will have created as an NPC uh, does when he uh, sings the one special note from Final Crisis. <laughs> I was gonna make that I was gonna make that joke. <laughs> oh my god. Right. Well, I, I, I don't think there's any better way to end it than, than right there. Well, so- what about telling them the places where they can find the podcast one last time, Christian? Well, uh, the best place that you can find the podcast is our website, which is talesfromtheoutlands.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and whatever other podcast uh, platform uh, you listen to these sort of things on. Uh, additionally, you can also find us on Twitter at OutlandsPod. Uh, that's O. U-T-L-A-N-D-S-P-O-D on Twitter. Um, And, uh, yeah, that's about everywhere. Um, So, um, once again, uh, please follow us 
uh, send reviews, tell your friends about this podcast. We have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you so much again for listening to another episode. Uh, we will be back again here in, uh, the very near future. And until next time, keep adventuring. And remember, hot takes don't protect you from mind flayers. <laughs> <laughs>